0: Hello everyone, this is Elizabeth John, and you're listening to my podcast, Truths Untold. In today's talk, we'll be looking at the loss and the gaining of identity. In losing one's identity, it can dramatically alter the reality in which one is surrounded by. Identity can be defined as what someone or something is determined to be. While some may not have been as lucky, there are certain countries in the world that have been able to preserve their identity for so long. One country that would fit this regimen is one and only Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago has always been a country of peace and equity, where no disputes ever occurred within this country or between them and other countries. However, this wasn't always the case. The story that you're about to hear from a nation that has played fair for so long can be thrown into chaos in one day. As you listen in, I hope for you all to recognize the importance of identity how significant it can be in your lives. <laughs> On July 27, 1990, it began as just another day in Trinidad and Tobago. The fresh hot breeze, birds singing, nothing looked the ordinary. It all seemed to be a regular hot day, until 6pm.
1: At 6pm this afternoon, the government of Trinidad and Tobago was overthrown. The Prime Minister and members of the Cabinet are under arrest. We are asking everybody to remain calm.
0: That was Yassin Abu Bakar, the man who overthrew the government of Trina and Tobago. At this point in time, he had already stormed into the parliament with his army of 42 insurgents. They have managed to gather Prime Minister A.N.R. Robinson and most of the cabinet in the Red House, holding them hostage. TNT television offices were also attacked by another 72 rebels, allowing Yasin Abubakar to deliver this message. Abubakar claimed in his message that no looting would take place, although within the capital of Port of Spain, Widespread arson immediately occurred, resulting in major poverty damage and many deaths. The coup itself lasted six days in total, until the Muslim group eventually surrendered. Now you may be wondering to yourselves, what is this terrorist group? What do they want, and why cause all this mayhem? Well, let me take you all back to how this all began, shall we? During this period, a rebellious group was residing in Shunna and Tobago, just being a small population who brought up the resentment among poor people in Port of Spain. Take, for instance, the burning of the city in which they caused. Although they had no real power, they came from a well-known group in Trinidad. While squatting on land, the government were unsure of whether to kick them out. The group had already taken over some land from the government and built upon it. This then led Sulwin Richardson, Minister of National Security, to devise a plan in order to deal with them. However, Richardson not only got rid of them, but prevented their further construction earning their wrath. The rebellious group were for the most upset with the government for good and bad reasons, but the event really wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the guns received from the USA. Apparently, there is a number two person in the organization known as Bilal Abdullah. He once took a trip to Miami, where he met up with a person to obtain the weaponry. The weapons were planned to be sent to Trinidad in disguised in a container. What allowed this to happen was a customs guy being bribed to look the other way as the rebels went through. These weapons were the same ones used in the coup. Unbelievable, right? Well, what's more unbelievable was that an American law enforcement organization knew about the weapon transfer, even before the coup had occurred. Basically, when Bilal Abdullah was in Miami, he was being watched by an organization called the American Party that knew he was playing something with those weapons. Alternatively, Bilal avoided the organization so much that they couldn't tell where the weapons were going anymore. Since the Trinidadian government also knew Bilal went to Miami, they requested the FBI to investigate him. The FBI, though treated it as a regular request, not paying as much attention as they should have to the situation, thus they only found answers a week after the coup. Although the FBI didn't take this case very seriously, you can't really blame this on them, can we? The real enemies here were the rebellion group themselves, and the worst part was the victims' experience because of this. For this podcast, I interviewed my mom, dad, and grandpa, all who have experienced the coup. According to them, the coup was so extreme, the army advised people not to be outside between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. This would have limited the freedom of many people. So let's hear what my family has to say. The first I will be speaking is my dad.
1: So one experience I had with the coup is that my friends and I, we were on holiday, and, uh, it was a really serious time so whenever we went out we had to make sure that we were home in time for the curfew so that was a very uh strange experience not being free uh, so for my family uh it was really tough because they were worried about how their family was going in uh, the other side of the island which is the north northern side of the island for Spain. we didn't have uh social media so On a daily basis, uh, we were trying to get in contact with everyone and make sure that everyone was safe.
0: Now we'll be listening to my mom.
2: I remember being afraid, um, being scared, not knowing what was happening. This was the first time this had ever happened in my lifetime. Um, A coup, no government, um, and wondering whether or not our country will ever be the same again. Um, For me, my dad was working... um, at the water treatment plant he was in charge of it and basically he had to have um special security and so did we um because he was in charge of the um water treatment and water quality for um most of the country so it was an extremely critical role he had so we were kind of scared for him because he had to be out at beyond the curfew times so i'm so happy that it the the coup lasted six days so happy that now our country is not like that uh, our country has recovered fully from it
0: finally just as my mom had mentioned her dad my grandpa will now be talking about his experience at his job during this time i was working i was in charge of the
1: of the water and search authority southern region i had to ensure that an evenings when- their vehicles to allow the police to get to have maximum mobility. Because I was the manager of the southern region, I had And sometimes I'm the only vehicle, right, driving up and passing under all the overpasses coming up, and that used to be pretty scary.
0: So these were the experiences these people in my family have had in the coup. Some may have experienced the same, others may not. Nonetheless, they were all still victims. While the coup was a difficult time for many, effective strategies were implemented that allowed the coup to end very soon. Throughout the whole time, the government communicated with the Muslimim as they set up a command center. They did this by cutting off all telephones to the rebels, except one. This was to allow a sense of isolation and for one government spokesman to speak to only one rebel. The government as well sent an FBI team and hostage negotiators to reason with the rebels. One other main factor in the coup resolution was the Trinidadian military, but the one person who was the true hero of the coup was the highest-ranking officer. Ralph Brown. When people suggested that they give the rebels what they want, he instead said
1: Forget it, we are not giving into any of these things.
0: In the end, Brown's message to the Muslim was
1: You guys either Kabot no and surrender or we are going to kill you.
0: The rebels took the time to think about this for a while, but eventually came outside the parliament and surrendered after six whole days. This true story relates to secret path through the sense of loss and regaining of identity. Similarly to Chani Wenjak, Trina and Tobago was oppressed by a traumatic event changing the face of the entire nation. Many suffered and were put in fear, losing hope of a resolution and their identity. Regardless, the country then regains back their identity through coming to terms with their situation and putting an end to their troubles. Even though Trina and Tobago didn't perish as Chani Wanjak did in his story, both the country and the boy return to where they hope to be. Just as Chani Jack spiritually comes back to his family, the people of Trina and Tobago get back the home that they've always loved.